We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the Field of 68 after dark on this final night of November. Big 10 ACC Challenge in full swing. And to break it down, we've got the Miller Brothers Sean and Archie as we go down the stretch in Columbus, a five-point game with the number one ranked team in the land, Duke, getting tested by Chris Holtman's Ohio State Buckeyes. So Coach K literally just calls a timeout here with less than four to go. Sean, take us inside these huddles right now, a five-point Duke lead as the Blue Devils have the basketball. Yeah, John, this this has been an interesting game because, you know, Duke is led almost from start to, to where we're at now, but they've allowed Ohio State to hang around. And I think one of the things that Ohio State's done a good job of is, you know, they have just gone inside and got Duke in foul trouble, you know, between Paulo in the first half picking up his third, Mark Williams playing, you know, with four. Did he just foul out? Or Theo John fouled out, I think Mark Williams is sitting at four. And uh, with that foul trouble, Chris Holman's done a great job of just going inside to Liddell. And obviously you have to have a guy that can catch it and deliver. But, you know, again, back to Duke, we'll see if if Ohio State can eventually pull through, but they're playing with such confidence and ease, John. Like it's just hard to rattle them. It's hard to overcome so many of the good things that Duke can do. You know, the balanced attack on offense, their ability to get key stops, the talent, the depth. And I just think the poise of Coach K, just they expect to win and they're at ease in these environments. Archie, do you feel that? Yeah, I mean, I add in, I I just think what Duke has just come off, you know, I, I keep saying this about them. They probably had the most emotional win of college basketball last week with the, the game in Vegas, the hype around the game, the magnitude of the win. And, you know, they've probably fly, you know, either back to Durham that night or, or into Columbus a day or so go. And they're right back at in that, in that environment of 20,000 in Columbus. And you know what? I mean, they've pretty much controlled the game the entire way. Um, so no, it's just Arch- impressive. It's impressive. Arch- your point as well. If you follow uh, Gonzaga, you know, Gonzaga had a tough game against Tarleton State, and it was tough. It wasn't one of those, like, it was really from start to finish. And to your point, you know, they were in Vegas for a long time, came off of two emotional games, one with Duke, and you see how they performed. Now Duke goes on the road to Ohio State, which in its own right is a very difficult place to win. 
it says a lot about your team. This game isn't over, but it just amazes me how Duke can overcome foul trouble, the crowd, and a lot of things, including the travel you just mentioned, Arch. Yeah, I mean, it's so deflated. If you look around the country coming out of Feast Week in general, three games, three days, or travel to Vegas, you see so many teams flatten out, you know, for a week or so after these events. They're fatigued, they're tired, and you know, I give Duke a lot of credit. Um, you know, the ACC challenge is always going to put them up against somebody really good right after the holiday weekend. And uh, they're on the road. They got a two possession lead in the last four minutes here. And um, they've pretty much led wire to wire. In Ohio State's defense, I think they've done a really good job of battling. But they're six for 16 in this game from the foul line. I mean, it's absolutely crushed them just in terms of them keeping it at a one possession, and they're shooting 37% from the line. This is a key stretch, Arch, in the game, John. They have Paulo at the five now, right? You know, so you put Banchero in there at the five, again, back to the point of the foul trouble, but it's the versatility. And I'm telling you what, they've let Ohio State stay in the game, and now it's it's right here to the end. It'll it'll be interesting if they can can finish this one off, Duke. Well, Chris, Chris Holtman's really gone inside to Zed Key, and Zed's done a great job in this game. He's got 20 in the game. He's been their offense here for a little bit. But EJ Liddell, I mean, you got to get him going right here, and this is going to be like a one-on-one ISO, and he's really hard to deal with. Great pass. And they get Bancaro to commit an offensive foul. He now has four fouls here with two minutes, six seconds on the clock. Here's the other thing, guys. This is a game where Duke is four of 12 from beyond the arc, Ohio State, 8 of 20. So whereas the Buckeyes, you can't go 6 for 16 from the free throw line at home, but they've made up for it. you got to find a way to hit perimeter shots. And what does Chris Holtman do? He goes to Cedric Russell off the bench, and Russell's 3 for 3 from beyond the arc. Yeah, it was amazing. Russell's played a very limited role up until this point. But, you know, you make a good point, John, about Duke. I think they were 1 for 11 in their win against Kentucky. Right. Um, I'm not sure what they were against Gonzaga, but the three-point line didn't play a big role in that game. This is a unique Duke team where their defense is very, very good. They have versatility, but they don't strike you from the three-point line like a lot of Duke teams have. I mean, they don't shoot a ton of them, and they don't make a ton of them, um, but they balance that in different ways. And um, this one's going to come down to the last possession, but Duke isn't a, isn't a prolific three-point shooting team this year, which is unique. This is a tough part of of college basketball. And there was an emphasis, John, about four or five years ago where, you know, the cylinder and, you know, it's kind of the injury prevention where you don't want guys hitting the head. But I'm going to tell you, when you're on offense and you can't pivot through, like you can't pivot through your cylinder, your space, the defenders in that space, it's tough when that offensive player gets called for the offensive foul, which just happened. Here it is. They're going to key their arch or, or Liddell. Hmm. Uh, and Buckeyes are going to have some free throws here to try to tie this game up. I mean, this, yeah, this I mean, they, they, they're right here. I mean, yeah, we'll see. The Dukes played through this entire game in foul trouble. And like we talked about, right now they don't have John or Williams in. They're playing Bancaro at the five. And, you know, that's, that's the versatility of these guys, you know, at the end of the game, they can, they can, they have such versatility in their lineup, but. Uh, let me ask well, you this, Archie, let me ask you this, Holtman and Ohio State, what makes them a difficult prep? 
Well, uh, you know, in, in this game in particular, I, I was saying it earlier, a season ago, EJ Liddell primar- primarily would play the center position for him. That is an absolute nightmare. Now, Zed Key's really evolved, but Chris Holtman has done a great job wherever he's been, but in particular, they play inside out regardless of who their front court is. They are able to draw fouls, and their guards do a really good job with their spacing, but I think one thing that makes them very difficult is who do you defend EJ Liddell with? A big has problems with them. He overpowers others, but what they have going right now is a good one-two punch because Zed Key has really anchored down there tonight, and they've thrown the ball to him quite a bit. He's eight for 15 in the game for 20 points, and EJ Liddell, you know, he's got a double-double in the game with 13 rebounds and 10 points. He also has six assists, so you can kind of tell his versatility. They play through their front court. You're right, though, John. What are the, What is Ohio State from the free throw line right now? The score is 66. Seven, seven of 18 from the line in the game. It's hard to be 66-65 against Duke when you're seven for 18 from the free throw line. And I think the other part about Ohio State, Justice Suing is not playing. I know Archie talked about he was a big part of their success a year ago when they had a great season. And you almost forget sometimes these early season injuries when guys aren't playing. But you put him on the court, you know, Ohio State goes to a completely different level. But this, if they're able you, to. Just, just watching how they're doing it down the finish. I mean, they're, Duke's going to have a hard time right now defending EJ Liddell with smalls and bigs. He's such a hard matchup. And Chris is putting this game completely on isolations right now between him on the perimeter and key inside. And, They've worked their way right into this game and getting a lead. And uh, they made up for it by making the eight threes versus Duke's four. But these are some big free throws. They got to they convert here. They get this lead. This would be a great opportunity for Ohio State because their schedule has been really, really hard here early. This is wild. This is absolutely wild. Mark Williams. Yeah. High up. It's a jump ball. And it's Ohio State basketball with 41 seconds left. Duke down by one now, 41 seconds left. So this is obvious here, right? You're, you're obviously going to you're gonna defend here. You got 41 seconds. Now Ohio State just fully knowing, again, folks, 9 of 20 from the free throw line, 41 ticks left. How do you coach up your team when you're down one, you're on defense, and there's 41 seconds? Well, this is, this is different for Duke. I mean, they've led this game from start to finish when – when we first came on into media timeout going into the last four minutes at that point, I don't know if Ohio state even had a lead at all in this game. There just aren't many of those types of games that Duke does not, does not win the foul trouble that Duke experienced up front really uh, I think really impacted the game, but give Ohio state credit. When you have one of those abysmal nights from the free throw line, Sometimes it can be contagious into other areas of the game. It just becomes a frustrating night for the crowd, for the coaches, and for the team. But Ohio State has played through that and uh, has given themselves a chance to win. When you're up by one here, I sometimes think it's it's that mentality approach, right? Like Ohio State's in, now they actually have a hand on the steering wheel here. They're in control. They've got the basketball. Like how much do you want something to the rim here to be the aggressor and not not have an empty trip knowing you've got the ball here. You're up one. You can extend it to three. And if you get the right look, four. Well, you got to get a shot. That's that's point number one. You don't want to settle. And I wouldn't be, you know, to be honest with you, they have to get the ball to their best player right here and make sure they get a quality possession. Give him a catch where he's going to be able to make a play for somebody else or himself. Don't waste 
time. You have a 41 second shot. You have 41 seconds on the deal. Duke's probably going to play for the stop right now. But I think right now this ball is going to go to EJ Liddell and he's going to drive the ball and either kick it or he's going to get fouled. Duke's playing small. Bam Bam Carroll's at the five. Again, down the home stretch. They the garden, have- you know, the one thing that's interesting, they're garden Bam Carroll on key. And me personally, I know Wendell Moore is a terrific defender. He's an older player. But he's not, he's not big enough to guard EJ Liddell. EJ Liddell's an NBA draft pick and then some, baby. Big time onions. Big time onions. He's a great player. A three is long. Ohio State with three seconds left. Up three. They're going to win this ballgame. It's an amazing win for Ohio State. Amazing win. This doesn't happen a a whole lot to Duke. It really doesn't. I mean, when they usually have command of the game, I mean, at the beginning, when we came on the air leading to the four-minute mark of the game, I was talking about how at ease Duke is, you know, just – even though Ohio State's hanging around, hanging around, you just you were waiting for them to put them away, and uh, and they just they didn't function quite as well in the last four minutes with the foul problems that they had playing Van Carroll at the five. And credit Ohio State, Archie talked about Chris Holtman playing inside out. He went to both big guys and he he got the ball in the paint, and they they scored the ball when they needed to. E.J. Liddell is one of the best one-on-one players in the country, and it's crazy to think that a guy that's a little undersized, but he's got an amazing ability to elevate and shoot a 15, 16, 17-footer over top of people and and score the ball. I mean, he's got unbelievable touch. And um, this kid, Cedric Russell, though, what what an unbelievable jolt of – of energy he's brought into the game. He's had a very little role up until the point to come into this game and make the plays that he's made. I mean, right now he's got 11 points in this game as a perimeter player. That's what Ohio state's been missing up until this point is another guard who can score the ball a little bit for him. Ohio state's okay. They're over the Michigan football loss. <laughs> they lived it out. All is nope. well in Columbus all of a sudden, right? Nobody the has good, the good. The good thing is they're really going to celebrate this win. It's a great win, but on the talk radio on the way home, they'll still be talking about the Michigan football game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tell you though, John. Back to the point. I don't think Duke loses many times in a situation that we found them in tonight, where they seem to be in control of the game from start to finish. Foul trouble up front. Theo John, Mark Williams, and Dan Carroll, who finished the game of four fouls. That and what we talked about, three-point shooting, because they've been able to overcome that a little bit. Tonight, they needed to make a few more, and they weren't able to do it. Their three-point shooting right now isn't on par with a lot of the other great things they've done this early season. Yeah, and let's look at it this way here. Tonight, tonight, Ohio State had the best player on the floor in this game. Let's give the due credit to EJ Liddell, 14 points, 14 rebounds. And you know what's amazing to me? Six assists. And if you're talking about Ohio State, who scores beyond them? I see six assists. He gravitates. He he takes up so much attention from a defense. This kid is their everything, and he puts it on his shoulders. He's so versatile. And I I just look at this kid as, as, look, if Purdue's not in the Big Ten right now, Trace Jackson Davis isn't there. E.J. Liddell uh, is the best player in this league. Uh, he may have been the best player in the league a year ago, John, to be honest with you. I mean, he was an absolute beast with the way that they do things. And Chris, like I said, one of the unique things about Chris Holtman is 
he will he will he will find a way to manipulate the game and get his best player the ball a lot of times and that's where you know Zed Key came in big tonight he gave him a presence he ends up giving him 20 they get 34 between those two which you know may be expected but the 12 points from Russell off the bench big big deal in this game and you know I think the foul trouble played a big role in the last six seven minutes but Ohio State is a really really good team They've played seven games now. They're five and two. They've played Duke, Florida. Um, they had Xavier. one more game at Seton Hall and yep. at uh, Xavier has been their last four games. At Xavier, Seton Hall, Florida, and now Duke. They've played an incredible schedule in their first seven. Man. And, and hey, give them credit. This, you know, John, we talked a couple weeks back, the month of November in college basketball, because keep in mind, as we sit here tonight, the calendar has not gone to December 1st. These types of games become the monumental games for teams and also the conferences they're from. Tonight's win, Ohio State beating Duke, will be an overall win against maybe the overall one seed in the tournament, certainly a one seed in this year's NCAA tournament. Think about how powerful of a win that is versus them not coming through. And we watched Ohio State in the first game of the year playing Akron at home and that game could have gone either way. And they, they right. eat that game out. So, you know, two different ways of having a great non-conference season and really having a season, you win that game that you're like, God, we should have been better where Akron could have knocked them off in the season opener. And then they're really losing for 36 minutes in tonight's game. They find a way to win all this without justice suing. And now when you look at Ohio state, making the tournament, getting a great seed, and what this does for the Big Ten, you can't act as if college basketball begins after Christmas. These games in the month of November and December, they carry the weight to who makes the tournament and many times the seeds that those teams get. Yeah, it's been a good – it's been a decent night, decent two days for the Big Ten. But, you know, one of the unique things about coming into the Big Ten Challenge is – and I'm not sure what the ACC is, maybe the same. I know the Pac-12 is – Right now, Ohio State is staring at Penn State on the road, Wisconsin coming up. They got two more conference games. And I will tell you this, like this game tonight does them a world of good going into league play at Penn State, then playing Wisconsin. They have Kentucky coming up in the CBS Sports Challenge. To me, they're more prepared than ever. But this was a big game for them in their resume. But think about this. You know, you're going into conference play on the road at Penn State next. You have Wisconsin and you have Kentucky coming up. I mean, you know, you start staring. I always used to circle the deal when you're in the Big Ten Conference and you start getting to the challenge, you start to say to yourself, I'm going for about 26 straight high major games in a row. And league play starts right here early December on the road. You're right. Just a week ago, Tyree Appleby hits a 30-footer. And Florida beats Ohio State down in Fort Myers. Tonight, Ohio State's trailing virtually the entire game against number one Duke, and the Buckeyes win. Have you ever walked back to your office, guys, in the month of November and said, shoot, you know, that's a game I wish we had won. But then you've said maybe in January, wasn't such a bad thing we lost that game. No, never, ever. (laughs) <laughs> I would walk straight from the locker room to my car. I'd skip the office. <laughs> I'll never forget uh, 
I was the head coach at Xavier and we played in the San Juan shootout when the San Juan shootout was a bigger event. And it just so happened. It was like uh, the, the perfect storm, John, down there where we played uh, a Missouri team that I believe ended up as a three seed. We played Memphis with uh, Tyreek Evans and those guys. Tyreek, and they were a two or one seed. And we played Virginia Tech. Seth Greenberg was the coach. They had a very good team. And I think they showed it. One of those three games, a guy on my team, Xavier, hit an 80-footer at the buzzer. It was his only made field goal. It was Dante Jackson, who's a currently an assistant coach. And I remember I got a text message after the tournament. At that point, we were in, what, middle of November. Thad Mata sent me the text, and he said, how does it feel to be in the NCAA tournament before you eat Thanksgiving? And he was just so right. He was so right. Really, when you when you win that tournament and win those three games on a neutral court against those three teams, that's kind of how you feel, you know. And I think that doesn't happen very often, but that's the importance of these exempt tournaments, the Big Ten ACC shootout. And like Art said, you know, now Ohio State, what do they get for winning this game? Now they start Big Ten play. So November and December have never been more important in college basketball than the year 2021. Mm. Mm. Well said. Hey, by the way, if you're at Xavier right now, John, you're celebrating Ohio State beating Duke. Yep. (laughs) Because they beat Ohio State. Hey, if you're in the Big Ten right now, you're celebrating Ohio State beating Duke like crazy. When you first started coaching, you just innately wanted to cheer against your league, right? Because you wanted everything to go well for you and terrible for everybody else. But as the math came in more and more, what makes the NCAA tournament great. You want your respective league to do well. You, you really do. The better all overall. In the Pac-12 a year ago, there were six teams in the NCAA tournament. The non-conference winning percentage in the Pac-12 was right below 75%. That means all 12 teams, you add them up, 75%. Forget who we beat or who we didn't beat. The winning percentage was 75%. That translated into March Madness. When you start to look as these games keep coming in and you take the overall conferences win percentage in non-conference play, that will dictate how many teams get in. And then inside of those wins, a game like tonight takes even more precedent. It's big. It's huge. And, And that's the thing is the casual fan doesn't think that way. But in this sport right now, as the calendar turns to December, you're lucky right now if your league doesn't start this weekend, which a lot of them do, you're, you're at, your window right now, right, it's like two and a half weeks left in your non-con, and then you hit Christmas, and if you just beat up on each other, if you don't have the non-conference frame of work, it doesn't mean as much as it would on Selection yeah. Sunday. Arch, so, Arch, there's 16 teams in the Big Ten. Uh, yeah, 14. 14. 14, team, 14 teams in the Big Ten. Is there 16 teams in the ACC right now? 16 teams in the ACC. Okay, 14. So there's going to be somebody, for example, let's take the Big Ten that's going to finish in 14th place. Yeah. 13th, 12th, 11th, 11, 12, 13, 14. When we look at the end of non-conference play and we look back who those bottom four finishers are, look at how many wins they brought into Big Ten season. Only count their non-conference games. It's important. If you're a rebuilding program in, in a Power Five conference, You want to bring the most wins to the table. You may not play the strength of schedule 
that a team like UCLA would play in the Pac-12, but you cannot be an anchor for the rest of your league. The more wins that everybody gets before conference play begins, it powers up the conference. It doesn't pull it down like an anchor. And, you know, I, I think that there's some conferences that do that better, but clearly that is the name of the game. There, there's hey, really think, no of, think about this in the Big Ten for the last two seasons. Don't count this one. The uh, through about February, 11 and 12 were in the NCAA tournament discussion, regardless of their conference record. And right now, if you look at the Big Ten, Minnesota was preseason pick 14th. They're seven and oh. Doesn't really matter who they've beaten, but they're seven and oh right now coming into the league. Nebraska's five and two. That's a distinct difference than they've been in the past. And Rutgers gets a big win tonight against Clemson. And, you know, I, I think like at the end of the day, the Big Ten and the Big 12, Big 12 in particular, if you look at the Big 12, they're going to go into Big 12 will be the number one league in college basketball this year. And they play a true round robin as well. But the Big 12 heading into league play, there isn't a team in the Big 12 right now that's not an NCAA tournament caliber team just because of the league strength. John, we struggled a few years in the Pac-12 of getting multiple teams in the NCAA tournament. And then once in a while, we'd get the one team in that was in the first four. And we had meeting after meeting. And the, the thing that came back striking was you have to win as a conference 75% of your non-conference games. In the year 2017, the team that I coached, we had Lowry Markinen, UCLA had Lonzo Ball, and Dane Altman in Oregon went to the Final Four. They had Dylan Brooks. We had three teams as late as early March that were vying for a one and a two seed. I think how it shook out was we had a three, a two, and a one, or three, a three seed and two, and two two seeds. You realize with that, that, that strength at the top, we only got one more team in other than the three of us, and that was USC in the first four. So four of the 12 teams in a Pac-12 got into the NCAA tournament, with one of the four being in the first four game. The three others were vying for a one seed or a two seed, but the thing that killed our league in that particular year was the bottom of the Pac-12 entered conference play with losing records, in some cases, abysmal losing records. And it acts as an anchor. Every time you play them in January and February, and once in a while they're going to win one, yeah. it just pulls everybody down. And uh, and that's why tonight's game, Ohio State against Duke, was a major game in this season. Think, think about this one, John, in the Big 12 right now. Baylor's 7-0. and yeah. Kansas is 5-1. and Texas Tech. Haven't heard much about them. Six and zero. Texas five and one. Oklahoma State six one. Oklahoma six one. West Virginia six and one. Iowa State six and zero. TCU five and one. And Kansas State is three and two. They're going to have a hard time not getting damn near every team in their league yeah. if they're right there. That, that conference office can order steaks for the holiday party. <laughs> the units, yeah. are, the units are going to come pouring in. That Texas Tech team faces their first major test of the season at the Dunkin' Donuts Center tomorrow night. They're going into the dunk, though. They're going into the dunk, Fanta. Coach <laughs> Cooley's going to have the fryers ready. <laughs> of um, all the places that I played, yeah, I'm going back into the 80s, the old school Big East, Woo. and then having the, the coach there just one time, two times maybe overall. That 
at Prov playing at Providence is one of the hardest, most rugged games. It's the crowd, it's the arena, it's Providence, it's the cold, it's five it, feet of it, snow. I never was comfortable. I was never comfortable walking in there. And then one night Eric Murdoch hit us for a quiet 47 points and broke a big east record. Yeah. And, uh, yes. maybe that's maybe that's the indelible image that I have of that place. But playing at, at the Dunkin' Donuts Center and uh especially right now I know they're six and one and Ed Cooley's one of the great coaches in our game, great friend of Arch and mine. Uh, uh, no doubt, a tough, tough venue to play let's, at. Let's get back to Duke here. Uh, now they've been they've been beat. This team's been defeated. It it can be done, and it was done, and it was going to be done on on some sort of a night. What is the top concern for Duke that they need to tinker? I mean, I think they dealt with a lot of foul trouble tonight. They dealt with 20,000 fans. They dealt with travel. I mean, it's hard to do what they just did to play Gonzaga and then at Ohio State back-to-back. I think they're fine. I mean, the one thing, they're not turning the ball over at all. That's the one thing that they do really well. And they're really not fouling a ton, which is interesting because tonight they got in foul trouble, which kind of shows you how Ohio State physically went at them inside with their two front court players and the drawn fouls that they had, but Duke is fine. They're going to rebound from this. Uh, they have South Carolina state app state and Cleveland state starting, um, you know, once they get back in two weeks, they don't play for two weeks. doesn't look like maybe they have another game. I'm not sure of, but uh, they don't start conference play until the 22nd at, at with Virginia tech. Would you be worried about the shooting? Would you be worried about the perimeter shooting? How worried are you? I mean, they better make time. They better make timely threes, and guys who take them better have high percentage because they're they're right now, um, you know, they're not making a ton of three point shots. I mean, they just aren't. They're shooting thirty three percent as a team from three, and uh, they're not taking a ton of them. Um, in particular, against the really good teams, they're really not taking a ton of them. But um, that would be the one thing is that they they get outscored from the three point line in games tonight. They got outscored from the three point line. It's hard to beat Duke when you shoot from the free throw line like Ohio State did. It's almost impossible to win the game when Ohio State shot free throws the way that they did. But they balanced it by Duke not really not making threes. I would say that they'll they'll look at creating better three point opportunities. I think one way you can really do that, John, is by getting a faster push in transition. I don't, I don't think they really broke the game open like they're capable with that fast push off of stops like, like they're known to do. Some of it, like, look, when you fly out to Vegas, you play that emotional Gonzaga game, you get through the holidays, you land in Durham, you have a couple quick days in between, and you're right back on the road at Ohio State. That's challenging for every team. But, you know, creating better three-point opportunities, knocking them down. You know, that's the one thing that's scary about Purdue. right now as we enter December, they're number two in America from the three-point line. And when you think about their team, you really don't think about three-point shooting. You think about those two big guys, and obviously Jaden Ivey's a terrific talent. But when you also incorporate the ingredient of shooting over 40% from three as a team, in addition to what they're able to do offensively, they are the number one team in college basketball right now on offense. And, um, it's a tough task to deal with them. Like comparing the two teams, Duke and Purdue here early on, one team has a distinct advantage shooting the basketball yes. early on, and that, and that is Purdue. And, and as you know, you have to pick your poison because 
that's the last thing you really want to worry about when you prepare for them because of how prolific their inside attack is. And obviously nobody knows more than Arch when it comes to that. I mean, it's just, it's tough with their personnel right now. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's very difficult. I mean, it's pick your poison. I think a few years ago, if you described the team, because, you know, Isaac Haas was such a massive problem to deal with. And they had four perimeter shooters or four perimeter older players around him that year. They had Dakota Mathias, they had Carson Edwards, um, they had, you know, Matt Klein, they had Klein and they had PJ Thompson. And, and, you know, they, you kind of picked your poison with that team. You maybe gave PJ some shots, but you, you either gave Isaac an Island or, or you tried to take away the, th- or you, you gave up some threes by defending the post. It's very difficult to do that with this Purdue team. You know, I, I just think right now they have four or five guys that can make upwards of four to five threes in a game between Newman, Stefanovic, Ivy, and then the younger Thompson, who's doing a great job for their team right now. And then when you add in the fact that for 40 minutes, you have two most dominant inside players, um, it's really not pick your poison. What makes Matt Painter's offense so difficult to defend? Well, number one, it's an execution system. I mean, they're going to come down on you and they're going to run a play or an action to get the ball to their best player every time down. And they execute at a very, very high level. I mean, it's, it's not one of those deals where you're worried about their transition game on makes or their breakneck speed. You're worried about they're coming right at you every time down the floor. And they do a great job of executing. They do an unbelievable job of getting the ball inside in, in unique ways. It's very hard to defend the post with trapping or keeping it out of there. I also think they run their, their, their perimeter players off of a lot of unique handoffs and combinations of staggers and triples. And there's a lot of different stuff. It's a tough cover in general. I also think Purdue, not underrated, but very, very valuable defense to offense team. You know, if you watch Purdue when they make a lot of their threes, it's defense to offense. They hunt threes in transition and they do a really good job of finding guys, finding their shooters like Stefanovic and Ivy and those guys. They can break some games open. So, um, but I just think Matt does a great job of his execution. He's got an older team. If you talk to him right now, I mean, they got one mantra. And the bottom line is they have 10 guys all buying in. They have 10 guys all buying in. That's a big, big deal for a team that's talented because you usually have a couple unhappy campers. I think the fact that Travion Williams, who's a first-team all-conference Big Ten junior, is coming off the bench says a lot about the direction of what they're trying to do. You know, it's, it's interesting talking about Duke and Purdue, John, because, you know, the one thing that, that we kind of let Duke off the hook tonight you know, when you look at their makeup of their team, I think everybody agrees they have the makings of kind of that old Duke team that can be dominant defensively. If you really look at kind of what let them down tonight, down the home stretch, they weren't dominant defensively. If Ohio State makes their free throws, like Ohio State really attacked them inside. And Duke trusts their bigs. They play directly behind. They don't help. They don't double. And they got in foul trouble tonight, and they gave up a lot of deep catches inside. Right. One of the ways that they could overcome their three-point shooting tonight is by getting those big stops because they're, they're certainly capable. If you look at their defense, their defense is good. It hasn't necessarily taken that final step of being great yet. When you flip it to Purdue, 
I think one of Matt Painter's questions that he probably deals with every day is how do they not get beat from behind the three-point line? Because if you look at their personnel, they're playing that one big, they give up a lot of three-point shots. And in March Madness, whether it be your conference tournament or that one night, if that team gets red hot from three, it does you in. And they're vulnerable with that. And I'm sure if you know every day they go by, every week that they go by, they're trying to get better and better, more prepared for that period of time so that when they get to the NCAA tournament, that they have a solution against that high-powered team from, from the three-point line. Because Purdue on offense, I don't want to say they're a finished product, but they have more answers than maybe anybody in the country. Let me ask you this. If you had to choose, you could go in tomorrow and start coaching one of these three teams, Gonzaga, Purdue, or Duke. Who are you walking in and coaching? Man, that's an easy question. <laughs> you really could pick any three of them. You know, I, um, I would probably go with, uh, in my mind, I would go with Duke simply because I think they're the most complete. You know, the shooting part, I think creating more open threes, they'll settle in there. And I, I do believe that they have a chance to be dominant at both ends. Uh, maybe more so than than the other two, but you're talking about three extremely talented, well coached teams that have their eyes on that final weekend in uh, of the college basketball season. You know, I would also say this: Jaden Ivey, he's such a terrific talent, and I know he had kind of, in a way, a coming out party with them winning the tournament even before tonight's game. And you read about, you know, how, how highly touted and how, how highly ranked he is. You know, you start thinking things like, I've even read different things. of Should a guy like that shut it down? And I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, think about this. Him having the opportunity to take Purdue to the final four, to win the Big Ten. I mean, you, you want to be prepared the most you can be to be a, an NBA player, to be valued in that next league be the player that does that. And I think him emerging not only as an amazing talent and player, but also being that leader, bringing that will to his team night in, night out. You know, uh, again, I think that's the other point with Purdue uh, that they, they really, that, that's something Duke and Gonzaga have been there recently in the final four, whereas Purdue has. It. Now, wait, now, Arch, who are you picking? Purdue. Purdue. I mean, just based on this, number one, they're the deepest and they're the most experienced. You know, right now, Purdue's basically playing one freshman. He's doing a very good job in Caleb first. I think that both the other two teams are still playing with some younger players. You can say what you want. Ben Carroll and Keels are true freshmen. You know, Gonzaga has some, obviously, Chet and a couple other freshmen. You know, Purdue, Purdue is running around with nine Big Ten experienced players. You know, and they have some older, older players on their team. If they have a guy go down or they deal with foul trouble, the guy coming in isn't much different than the guy who started the game. Whether you lose to foul trouble Williams or you lose Big Edie, you're dealing with one of the two. At the four position, Mason Gillis is a two-year starter. First doesn't have it going that day, you know, and on the perimeter, you deal with Ivy, but you bring in Brandon Newman, who started 20-some games last year as a, as a redshirt freshman. He's a third-year player. Stefanovic is a fifth-year senior. I mean, they are old, 
inexperienced. And I think the one thing that's very unique about what they're doing is their, their roles are very well defined. I mean, there's a reason I, I really believe that the playing time has been divvied the way it is. And I think those guys are sticking to the script, um, but they're vulnerable to a team that has, in my opinion, front court players who shoot threes. If you have a prolific team of five shooters, or you have that very unique small ball team, uh, you've seen Purdue kind of struggle in the tournament with, um, I believe last year, who was it? North Texas, you know, smaller guys. But like, if you have that one team that has spacers and shooting from the three and you put their fives in ball screens all game long, and you're not really doing a whole lot other than trying to pick them apart. You could see where a team that's prolific from a, from the three point line could sting them, but you're going to have to guard them down the other end. And, uh, you know, to me, it's a very difficult problem for them. Here's your uh... judge. It's it's tough to judge Duke though. And even Gonzaga, Gonzaga is younger this year than they've been. And when you look at their ceiling, they have, they have, I mean, Paulo Bancaro tonight played his first true road game of his college career on the heels of going to Vegas, flying back and going to Ohio state, you know, Trevor Keels, the same thing. Some of the key players for them, and by the way, Gonzaga as well, they're going to do nothing but get more experienced and better and better. I think Purdue comes into the season a little closer to their ceiling. It doesn't mean they can't win at all, but I, that's why if you'd ask choosing a team, I think Duke in the next eight to 10 weeks can continue to jump. And I would say the last part about depth, Coach K has always played seven, seven and a half, eight guys. He's never really been the coach who goes into nine or 10. So their depth is, is a little deceiving. They're very versatile in what they can do. Let me ask you this. Um, when you play in a league that maybe isn't as strong, um, of course, you, you, you know you got to win those games against the bottom feeders, the anchor. But does sometimes playing in a league where you know you're flat out better than other teams and, and you're trying to find a way to maybe make that ceiling a little bit higher, can you work on things in games in January and February to try to, to find a higher ceiling? Yeah, I think you're referring to Gonzaga. And, and as we've talked about, let's give the uh, their conference. Well, I'm even referring to Duke in a weak ACC. Yeah. I totally, I understand it. I would say the ACC is stronger than Gonzaga's conference, but we know St. Mary's is very good. We know San Francisco is under the radar good. We know BYU is yeah. very good. We know Santa Clara under the radar a little bit better. So let's give that league the credit they deserve. But let's say they come in as the sixth best league in the country, right? Yeah, sure. I do think they have an opportunity in January and February to kind of be on that yellow brick road where they can work on certain things and not get punished with back-to-back losses. I mean, when you're going through the gauntlet of the big 10 and the big 12, no doubt about it. I mean, your eye is look, no matter how much you're trying to play for March madness, you, you want to win the games in January and February as well. Can't take anything for granted. So there's two ways of getting better. You know, you start playing in those heavyweight leagues, road games, home games, road games, like Arch talked about, dealing with a losing streak, repairing yourself, you get better almost in a tough love type of way. I think if you're Gonzaga, you know, you get healthy. Um, 
you know, you're able to really prepare for March Madness and knowing that, you know what, a lot of your damage was done in November and December. And now we're going to sit here and we're going to yeah. be the freshest, most I think, ready we can be in, in March. I think one advantage Gonzaga has is there's 50% of their conference games. Let's just say their home games. They're, they're going to be favored by double figures. Right. And if they're winning a game by 20 to 25 or 30 points, what they're doing is they can play younger players longer. They can make mistakes throughout the course of the year. You can get more minutes for guys. I think where it runs into a problem, you know, for a team like a Purdue, if they were young or even a Duke, very few times in an ACC or Big Ten game, do you have the luxury of playing guys, you know, double figure minutes when you're, you know, not at, at the pressure of losing the game, you know what I mean? So I, I think like one of the things that Gonzaga can get away with a little bit, I mean, to their credit, if they're up by 25 points with 14 to go, or they have a huge lead, they can, they can sit Timmy for a little bit and play other guys and they play more minutes. I mean, it's just the way it is where I do think in some cases, you know, you're not, you're not going to, you're not going to have that luxury once you hit January and February in the big 10, it's just not possible. Baylor, John, don't sleep on Baylor. Very seldom does the national champion from a year earlier not get talked about. Like we're not talking about Baylor. I mean, only thing they did is go to the battle of Atlantis where arguably it was one of the great fields of, of any exempt tournament and they won that thing in a very dominant type of way. They have a lot of pieces on offense, defense. If you if you look at balance, how balanced they are, they're actually the most balanced team of the ones we've talked about because their defense is elite and their offense right now. And I think interesting. Look at them, the, the interesting back- with Baylor here coming up, you know, they they got a back to back with Villanova at home and at Oregon before they hit big 12 play. If they would find a way to split those two and to go into conference play. I mean, they, they've, they've done an unbelievable job. They got a couple heavyweights coming up, tough games. And, but Baylor, as you, you know, to me, their numbers and, and what they're doing, I'm not sure they're that far off from these other teams. Yeah. And the fact that they, Adam Flagler, we knew how good of a player he was. Um, look, Akinjo comes into this equation, and you wonder, how does this whole dynamic work? Um, and you have LJ Cryer. And I, I think that what they showed in Atlantis is, is that Scott Drew can get these guys in and out to coexist. And the other thing is, I think of Baylor, and here's what I think of, three, four horses. you got guys that can come right off the bench, similar to that Duke physicality dynamic, they breed six foot nine guys that are physical, versatile, and they're, they're good for five fouls. And they don't lack confidence. I mean, not only last year did they win the national championship, but a year earlier, if it wasn't for COVID shutting everything down, they were one of the favorites. So they've, they have guys in their program, their coaching staff, they believe. They, they don't walk into any game in any arena lacking confidence in the know-how to be the dominant team. And there's if something you, if you gave me one team, if you gave me one team to beat Purdue head up right now, it'd be Baylor. Because I think they have the perimeter people to put those big guys in ball screens and just 
they got a lot of they got a lot of guys that can go off the bounce. They can put you in a lot of ball screens, and uh, I think Baylor defensively is is versatile enough. They're unique enough with how they play, and their quickness and size. I think if you told me, you know, who, what would be the best game for Purdue right now, I think Baylor would be the best game for them. Now Gonzaga plays this weekend. They play in Seattle in the Battle of Seattle against Alabama. Yeah. And Alabama's a very, very good team. It'll be interesting to watch Gonzaga. They can get their feet back under them. You know, that loss to Duke is probably a good thing. Kind of knocks them down a level. I'm sure Mark Few has their undivided attention, especially because they came back and didn't play well. I mean, really, they were in a tough game against Tarleton State. They really were. That game was not in jeopardy as much as tough and hard fought from the beginning all the way to the end. So um, when you talk about the Zags now, they do not lack, lack talent. When you talk about having the best player on the court, Drew Timmy, with Chet Holmgren as he keeps growing. Chet Holmgren is November. Let's double back and see who he is in February and early March. And if he's healthy, I think what you're going to say is you'll laugh about how he played early in the year in some games. I mean, that's why when you ask who would I take, the ceiling for the Zags, the ceiling for Duke, because their premier players are still first-year players, yeah. I think is much higher than maybe a team like Purdue, uh, just because Purdue's returning experience, they have the know-how right now in November. Is a bye game after you get back from the Bahamas or, or back from overseas, is a bye game off that just a pain in the ass? It's, it's a, I'm telling you, when you, come off, when you come off of that trip, it's an automatic of the highest of the high. You are on fire for seven days, preparing, playing, preparing, playing. And the trip home in the 48 hours before you show back up and get them back on the floor, I mean, it's hard to get a team of guys off the ground. And then if you're playing an inferior opponent, you're at risk of playing really poorly that next game. That'd be my experience with it. It's, it's kind of like one of those deals where it just doesn't have the same pop as you were just in that environment a week ago. Now in Duke's case, you know, they come straight into Ohio state and they deal with another buzzsaw, you know, arena and environment. But, you know, to me, that's what I've been saying. I think they deal with that every time they play. They do. Uh, yeah. Let's dive into the, Craziest game of the night. Double overtime. Syracuse 112, Indiana 110. The Orange led at halftime by 16. Quite a valiant effort by the Hoosiers to come back in this game. I'm not sure if either team wanted to win in either overtime. Just, just by virtue of, my goodness gracious, the, the closing minute of, of regulation OT, even the second overtime were absolutely wild. What's your reaction, guys, from Syracuse pulling out a two-point win? Well, I, I would say first things first, Indiana's turnovers were just overwhelming. I think at one point Syracuse had in the high 30s in points off of turnovers. Yeah. In Syracuse, the zone's deceptive because it can create turnovers. But if you look at the makeup of Syracuse's roster this year, you know they're not going to score 30-plus points off of the other team's turnovers very often. Uh, the, the fact that Indiana had as many turnovers, I think what 25 in a double overtime game, it's remarkable that they had a chance to win. I think, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, you know, him being a returning 
you know, all American, uh, a guy that made a decision to come back to school. I mean, a year ago, if you look at him statistically, he was one of college basketball's best players a year ago. And he is that again right now, but he almost kept them in it. But man, it's tough to watch a game. It's tough, I'm sure, to coach a game when your team turns the ball over 25 times. It's just, it's no fun. And usually if you turn it over 25 times, that number does just doesn't all, all you know, go back to 10. <laughs> like, you know, Shazam, we, we fixed this. That means they have a problem. It was their first road game. It looked like it was their first road game. They just were not able to overcome the turnovers. And that's in spite of just a, almost a Herculean effort from Trace uh, to, in tonight's game. You know, this is a very, very odd Syracuse team. You know, I think when you look out there and you watch this Syracuse team play, um, they're very unique. They're winning with their offense, and they're not winning this with their defense. As crazy as this sounds, as effective as the zone has been for Coach Bayheim, and I've played against it twice in its prime when they had really, really terrific length and size, they're giving up crazy numbers through however many games this is this year um, with their defense. You know, teams are shooting um, a crazy percentage from two compared to what they're normally shooting. Usually it's very, very hard to make two-point baskets against them because of the zone and the size. And I think right now uh, the defense is, is gave up 59% from two tonight, you know. Oh. And they also gave up 38% from three. And, uh, you know, I think when you look at the, the deal uh, with how they're playing Syracuse, probably as the season continues to go is going to get better with the zone, but this is one of the weakest defensive teams that uh, they've put out there with the zone and um, offensively though, man, sometimes you look out there and they, they, they hoop like an intramural team. They got guys stepping up, making shots that like Gerard and both Bayheims, they can really, really get, get hot and fill it up. And, you know, to their credit, they, uh, they found a way tonight. That was a 50, 50 game, Indiana. You got to give them credit. Because when you go into the dome and you're down big at halftime, it's not an easy team to play against in the second half from behind. And uh, they did a good job coming back. And, um, you know, they had some guys step up and make shots. You got to give Syracuse credit. You talk about playing in an exempt tournament. They played in the Battle of Atlantis. They played three tough, tough games. You travel back. And, again, who is there? You know, they play in the the, uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge. And, you know, you have to bounce back. That tournament in, in the Bahamas didn't necessarily go great for them. And I really credit Buddy Beheim. I mean, offensively, he has some real answers. He's, he's one of the best players in the ACC, and, and he really showed it tonight. I, I want to, I John, bring up a topic because this is always a huge topic for fans. Yeah. When, you're up, when you're up three points yeah, late you. in the game, foul on purpose, Coach, because if you do – they're not going to make that lucky or long distance three that always seems to go in. So tonight, yep. Syracuse elected to do it very late, yep. under three seconds, and they fouled at the three-quarter court level. I would say that one rule to have, if you're going to foul, try to foul on the first dribble or pass across half court. And what that allows you to do is at least let maybe another second second and a half, sometimes two seconds, go off the clock before you foul. They fouled at three-quarter court. Number two, 
Okay, now you took away their ability to make the three. Indiana makes the first free throw. There's only one way with two point some seconds to go that you lose or the game goes in overtime. And that is you don't block out or you don't get the defensive rebound. You know, he's going to try to miss. He did a great job of missing the free throw. But if you looked on the right side of the screen, poor blockouts, whether you block that guy out and it's Trace Jackson Davis with one player or two, I would say you want to get him with two. He can't get the offensive rebound. If he doesn't get the offensive rebound, Syracuse secures the defensive rebound. Now there's one second to go. They foul, and it's going to be really hard for Indiana to put that game in overtime. But it doesn't always end with you foul on purpose and they didn't shoot the three. You have to play it out. Sometimes that same scenario, John, continues to go, which now you have to inbound and you can't get a five-second count. You can't get trapped. You know, so the scenario goes beyond just the foul and – Trust me, Jim Beheim will be talking a lot to his team about that because you don't want to foul up three and let the game go into overtime a second way. Right. Well, I think one of the things is um, the starting center fouled out, and they were super small. I mean, super small. You could take into consideration the rebounding problem. You may not want to foul just because of the rebounding, but – they did the right thing in fouling. You know, the funny thing is, I think later in the game in overtime, they dribbled the length of the floor, did a dribble handoff and banged a three right on the zone. You know I mean? It's just not like you can't get a shot up. So they did the right thing. It's just when you know that guy's going to miss, the only thing you're thinking about is that block out. And uh, I tell you, Trace just bull rushed him right under the rim. I mean, he gave a great job on the offensive rebound attempt to get the ball under the basket, but um crazy game I mean just one of those crazy games it's 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 hard to watch it's hard to coach it's hard to make points when you're turning the ball over like Indiana did in an early season on the road for the first time 25 turnovers that's something that they really have to correct as they move forward and I'm sure that's priority number one two and three uh in their practices moving forward Especially you play against a very unique defense too. You know, the one thing about the Syracuse zone is you can't run the same thing kind of every time down. Once they kind of get a beat on your pattern, it gets a little bit stagnant. You got to have a couple different ways of kind of moving them and, and doing some things. But, you know, in the second half, Indiana scored. I mean, I think at one point in time in the game, they scored nine straight field goals against Syracuse. It was anybody's game for the taking. Some really... um I thought, you know, uh, get up 101.97. Yeah. There was three straight really unnecessary fouls. Yeah. Uh, One was about 94 feet from the basket. Another one was at half court. But Syracuse got six free throws with no time coming off the clock. Uh, Up 101.97 coming into that overtime. And those fouls were really, really hard um, to take because they were unnecessary. And, and I just think you don't want to get Syracuse free points with no time for no reason when you have a four-point lead and you have the momentum. They got six free throws right away. And they shot 27 for 34 from the free throw line, 80%. You're going to take that. And then you're right. I mean, just some self-inflicted errors uh, by the Hoosiers in this game. And I'll tell you what, you know what stood out to me? At times, that 2-3 was a 1-3-1. I think they stack. I think, you know, usually when you play Syracuse, those two guys up top are really big 
and they're really tight together. They try to take away the pass from the top of the key into the painted area, the logo area. And I think with maybe just maybe scouting, I'm not sure, but they definitely tanded them. They tanded one up on top of the other and kept the other guy yeah. at the nail, brought their wings up a little bit. John, their, de- their personnel is a little different. Derek Coleman isn't walking through the carrier dome anytime soon. <laughs> when, when he was on the right wing, and keep in mind, his wingspan was like eight feet. Uh, he didn't play the five. He played the four. So if you caught the ball on the right side, you were trying to trade with the guy who was on the left side because you couldn't get a shot up, let alone make one. I mean, uh, so I think their personnel is a little different. Remember this now. If Indiana's problem is they 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 turned the ball over 25 times, right? And they still scored 100-plus yeah. to double overtime – then I think if you're Syracuse, you probably have some worries on defense. No question about it. This is a that's a problematic thing. If you look at Syracuse right now, Colgate to VCU, Arizona State, Auburn. I mean, they've given up one ten in double OT, eighty nine to Auburn, eighty four to Arizona State, a hundred to Colgate through their first four out of five games. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of points against that zone. What a night in college basketball. Uh, I think you- Cobb, maybe it's because Arch and I, all we do is watch games and we don't have the, our own team to deal with. But I think the world of college basketball, A, because we saw what it felt like without fans. Yeah. Now they're yeah. back in full force. But I think some of the scheduling, the two games in Las Vegas, UCLA, Gonzaga, Duke, Gonzaga, coupled with the exempt tournaments all across the country. You know, and having people there. And it's funny uh, you brought really- that up. You know, I heard, uh, I heard Mick, I think Mick Cronin met with the media today. He had a really good point where he said, you know, either conferences should, should dial back the number of games and mandate the premier high major home and away games yep. for college basketball. Because his point was, as much as it is about the TV revenue and the leagues, the game, do what's best for the game. And uh, I think what we're realizing and what we're seeing with this early, maybe it's just because the games are so much more energetic right now with the fans, but in the matchups, but, you know, these non-conference high major matchups have been great to start the season this year. And maybe it's because I never watch them before, but like right now there's some great Iowa, Virginia last night, great game, you know, you know, Rutgers had a great win against Clemson at home. They were struggling and they got back to playing like Rutgers did tonight in Iraq and, and they defended and they, they had a great home win against Clemson. You know, those matchups are premier, but you know what's happening this week? Pac-12 cranks up tomorrow with home games against Pac-12 teams. The Big Ten does it. The ACC does it. Not that they're not great games, but it just takes the steam, the steam off of some of these matchups that we were looking at here in the last 10 days. We've got a guest right now coming to us yes. from Columbus after Ohio State comes back from 15 down to beat number one Duke 71 to 66. We are joined by the sophomore six foot eight forward. He's from New York. It's Zed Key who led the Ohio State Buckeyes tonight with 20 points. What a performance for Zed is uh, I think he's still connecting with us here on field of 68 after dark uh, man. Must be that bad reception in Columbus. 
I can't imagine uh, why, because I'm guessing everybody's on their data right now. Um, but, but while we're waiting for him here, you know, Arch, you kept on bringing up Zed Key tonight. That they, that yeah. that was a big difference in this basketball game. There he is right now. Zed, there he is. What up? Zed, what's going on, buddy? What up? How you guys doing? Doing well. Congratulations on the win, man. Thank you. I tell you what, it was very uh, impressive the way that I thought Coach Holtman started to really play through you. I mean, the foul trouble mounted on the Duke, and you were getting them work. You were getting some work done down there in the box. And uh, to your credit, and to Coach Holtman's credit, sounded like there was a real emphasis to go inside and uh, get you the ball. And you were able to really start to work them over, and I thought that that really changed the game there late. Yeah, um, you know, I I got it going going early. You know, my my teammates found me like on the post, and I was I was making shots. So, you know, I felt um, you know just kept running through me. So you know, I'm appreciative that you know the coach trusted me to uh, to put the ball in my hands to make a play. So you know, you know just taking it uh, play by play, really. Um, hey. AZ, this is Coach Miller. Congrats on the big win. Let me ask you, you this. How much different is it for you to play tonight against Duke in front of a packed house at home versus last year? Um, it was way different. You know, even the first game, you know, I wasn't like with fans and stuff, you know, it was a little adjustment period, people yelling your name. But you know, I love it now, you know, it brings energy. You know, um, you know, when we were coming back and the crowd got behind us and you know, just kept it rolling. So, you know, I love the crowd and, you know, the nut house. I mean, just, just yeah. it was a good atmosphere. Now, Zed, you averaged five points a game last year, and obviously you're a much improved player. What is it that you did from the time that your season ended a year ago through the spring and those hard, long summer months into tonight's game? What would you say the things that you've changed or worked on to become the much improved player that you are today? Well, first I had to I had to lose weight in the beginning of the summer. I was at two sixty five, and you know, just trying to get the weight down. You know, I couldn't. You can't play at that. I couldn't play at that weight. You know, wasn't really able to move and just getting tired quickly. So, I you know, lost weight. I'm at two fifty two now. You know, I'm able to move better. You know, and do a lot of conditioning. You know, I'm out there, you know, running and not not really getting tired anymore. Like I was my freshman year, because after yeah. like two minutes, I was I was dying. <laughs> so yeah. No. Well, well done, man. Well done. You can really see it. Thank you. Zed, as I, as I look at your team, you guys obviously are developing. You have a new backcourt compared to what you had a year ago, but mm-hmm. you have a great one-two punch in yourself and playing next to EJ. Um, I personally believe that EJ's, you know, one of the toughest covers that a team can go against. What's it like right now for him? He clearly is carrying you guys alongside of you, but you got a great one-two punch with him. Um, I know he's a great teammate. I know he's a great leader, but, but in particular you and him as, as a nice little duo right now, you got a, you got a, a real formidable punch with him. You like playing with him, And I know he's, en- I know he enjoys playing with you. You guys are, are good friends. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love playing with EJ. You know, as you said, it's a, that's a mismatch problem, you know, cause he can get to a spot, you know, hit that mid range, his mid range is water every time. As soon as he, when he shot it, I knew it was going in. Like, I know Me I was too. Talking. I saw it with my own two eyes too much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was down there. I was like, yep, that's that's definitely going in. And it went in. So I you know he's a really good player and I'm honored I've been um playing on with him. 
Zed, I'm going to ask you this. John Fanta checking in with you. Congratulations on an amazing win. I love I love the Nuthouse uh, reference because it was a Nuthouse tonight, and, and you're, you're the leader of that big-time win. I'm going to read this to you right now and get your raw reaction. Entering tonight, Duke had won 185 games in a row <laughs> with a double-digit halftime lead. What was different tonight? That, that snapped that? Um, you know, when we went into halftime, you know, coach got on us. It was like, you know, we got to play better defense and, you know, got to get stops. Um, you know, just got to get rebounds as well. Um, so, you know, we just came together as a unit and as a team and said, look, we're not losing this game. And in the end, you know, just kept getting stops, kept, you know, scoring on the offensive end. And, you know, we pulled out the W. But that's I'm crazy. Like- 100 and what? 185 games in a row that they had a double-digit halftime lead, and that's done now because of you yeah, guys. That's ridiculous. Let me you know what, though, this. Zed? Zed, one thing that I watch closely, you know, Duke has two big big boys inside, you know, Williams and John, and those guys aren't easy to post up and score against, but they played directly behind you, and you punished them. You scored the ball. How many of, of your catches tonight, especially late in the second half, we're off of set plays. In other words, you know, coach called the number, you ran it, and the play was designed specifically to get you the ball deep in the post. Um, I know we have two um, uh, two plays that we ran, but I don't – I think we ran a couple times. I really wasn't counting. But, you know, it was off of just our regular offense that we run, you know, um, after a play, after the play. You yeah. know, they were playing behind me. So, you know, and it was, they weren't doubling. They started to, like, dig off the – uh, the guards a little bit, but they were uh, really doubling. So, you know, went to work. <laughs> well, good, man. Well, I, I'm glad you healed Columbus for a night. You know, that was a tough Saturday for yeah. for the Buckeye faithful, you know. So you I know, was worried. I was worried that the crowd would have been a little <laughs> subdued, but it seemed like they showed up tonight for you no, guys. No, they were, they were definitely. They were uh, ready. Yeah, they were Buckeye ready. Nation was definitely ready. Hey, Zed, you guys have played a very difficult schedule. You know, you mm-hmm. went to Xavier. You went down to Florida, had a heck of a game with Seton Hall. You lose a tough one on a buzzer shot to Florida. You come back and play Duke. You guys have clearly played a tough schedule. You got to flip the script now, and I know this changes the mindset, and I know Coach probably told you, but you got to go to Penn State to open Big Ten play on the road. It's a different level of concentration. It's very, very important. It's early in the year. Coming off this big win, you got to go to Happy Valley uh, on Sunday. Um, what did Coach talk about in terms of preparing the next few days and kind of getting ready for Big Ten play? Um, he just told us, you know, obviously enjoy the win today, um, uh, today and tomorrow. And, you know, when we come back to practice on – what's tomorrow, Wednesday? On Thursday, we'll walk them all. You know, we'll just be ready to work. Um, you know, we got to put that game uh, – tonight's game in the past. Um, you know, could be – we going to Penn State, and we're gonna, and they're a really good team, especially at home. Yeah, so, hard, hard place to play. Yeah, very hard place. Hey Zed, unfortunately for you, you're not the best player to come up, come out of Long Island Lutheran. You know who is, right? Uh, Tobias Harris. <laughs> huh? Tobias Harris? No, Devontae Green. Oh yeah, him too. Yeah, <laughs> that was not my next guess either. Maybe my third <laughs> guess. <laughs> You and Bosco Eftimov. I don't know what that is. 
Yeah. Young, and Danny Green. Young. Forgot about Danny Green. Hey, Zed. Don't forget about da- Danny Green. Zed, how's Coach Holman's suit right about now? How's that suit done? Soaked. So. It was a hazard in the locker room. <laughs> it was a hazard in the locker room. Well, Zed, hey, you keep it going, man. I tell you, well, the hardest thing to do as a player is to change your body. And all that hard work you put in when nobody was checking in with you, nobody was giving you credit. This is how it feels when you put that work in and uh, you show up a year later ready to go. So congrats to you. Build on it and uh, wish you nothing but the best. Thank you. Congratulations, Zed. I'd send you to Raising Cane's right now, but I don't know if that's in your diet, man. Absolutely not. Hope we'll have a heart attack. <laughs> good night. Thank you. Good night. That said, man, and you guys threw out some historical perspective there with Long Island Lutheran. I loved it. He had a great backcourt mate. Him and Andre Curbelo on the same high school team. That's one heck of a one heck of a one-two punch in high school. All right, it's time now. It's it's twelve forty-five. About to be on the East Coast. Is that right? Jeez. So typically, typically on After Dark, we do tippins. On when I host, we do a, a, t- a segment called tippins. But tonight I was cleaning out my refrigerator. And in the back corner of the fridge, I found one thing. And that's why instead of tippins tonight, wait, it is Miller time. <laughs> it is Miller time right now. Cheers. There you go. Fanta, you deserve you you deserve it. Big Miller, let's go right now. Uh, this is like on around the horn when you get one last one last thought here. You you can you can reflect on anything. Maybe a win by a coach tonight that you just love to see. Maybe a moment in the sport that comes to mind. Maybe it was when you were at the convenient mark picking up something today. <laughs> the floor is yours. Go ahead. You know. Um... My thoughts are, are what we just talked about uh, just a second ago, and that is a year ago, and maybe why it's fresh on my mind, that that was the last time that, that I coached and was around, you know, players. I don't think everybody completely understands what it was like for them. I mean, John, you're talking about getting up 6.30, 7 in the morning for four straight months, getting the COVID test going back to where you live, not being allowed to go out past that, uh, getting ready to go to practice, uh, you know, trying not to catch COVID. I mean, remember the vaccine wasn't even available uh, until the, talking about towards the end, no people in the stands that God forsaken, you know, built in whatever it was, crowd noise or whatever you call it, coaching with a mask on, just being around these kids, you know, and just watching a year later how much different it is with fans. You could tell they're smiling more. You know, I've had people say, man, the kids look happy. The players look happy. No, no kidding. <laughs> you, you think it was fun playing with, with all that they had to go through. I mean, all of us, I think did the best that we could. And just to see it open back up, it makes you appreciate uh, college basketball. And I think you're seeing that with maybe an older game. Some of the fifth-year guys came back. Some guys came back that otherwise wouldn't. Uh, and I think the renewed energy that exists in this month of November, it's, it's really spectacular. I mean, John, we're not at December 1st, and we've seen some great games already. I think it's really exciting to see that, and let's hope it continues. Yeah, I mean, I, I think my- you're not I messing love- around. Did you, did you, did you finish did you that? Did you chug that? We're about, one half, we're about halfway there, 
And you so gotta I'm, get another. You you better you better get another. We're double fisted. Oh. <laughs> you double fisted. Hey, I, I think you know, this, time you year, this time of year is about the ACC Big Ten Challenge. I've been a part of it as a player, ACC assistant coach, Big Ten. It's a great deal for the two leagues. There's a lot of bragging rights, but it does play a big role in March, as crazy as it sounds. In some cases, this is a premier win. But I think looking right now, the Big Ten is doing a great job. Iowa goes to Virginia. Ohio State knocks off Duke. Rutgers bangs Clemson at home. Minnesota goes on the road and beats Pitt. And Purdue squashes Florida State in a big way. And tomorrow, you have Michigan State at home versus Louisville. And you have uh, Michigan going to Carolina for, the, for, for two more tomorrow. I may be missing some. But to me, the Big Ten has really held serve in this challenge. And I think it's going to really help them come March. Come on, Arch. You, you claim you were, you were nondescript in the last one. You're just touting that Big Ten again. We need Robbie <laughs> Hummel. We need to bring – I heard on the telecast the other day they called him the Big Ten's favorite son. I mean, how in God's name is that fair to the rest of us out here? When you got the Big Ten's favorite son and you got this guy, I hear him. Look, I'm going to put – I'm going to finish – Somebody's got to talk about here. another league. The only league Cody. you talk about is the Pac-12. People are sleeping on UCLA, John. Oh, here we go, Fanta. Here we Cody, go. Cody Riley. You got up. He I left. Can't believe he got he up. Left. Like he had enough. Cody Riley. Cody Riley, Arch, not playing is as big of a deal for any top team. There we go. Here he in, comes. In, uh, in the here country. He comes. When Cody Riley gets back, when Cody Riley gets back, uh, that's fine. <laughs> hey, I was watching Syracuse tonight, John. Oh, I, think, I think they're going to have a heck of a big East season. That's who I think of when I think when I think of the Big East, I think of the Carrier Dome. <laughs> That's it for us. I'm going to go pound another one of these for Sean and Arch. I'm John Fanta. That's the field of 68 after dark.